As we turn our attention now to the preaching of God's Word, let's also read and hear from God's Word. Uh, From Matthew 6, verses 1, and then 5 through 15. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have some extra copies on the end of each row. They're blue. Uh, Please do feel free to use that. Uh, And if you don't own a copy of Scripture, please do take that as a gift from us uh, here at SCPC. Uh, But let's hear now from the Word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in our series for the book, uh, the month of January, and um, talking about prayer, and particularly prayer from Jesus' point of view, his own teaching and practice of prayer. Last week, Josh started us out uh, talking about Jesus' own practice and how he spent time in prayer with the Lord, and today we're going to talk about what he says about how to carry out prayer. And when we talk about prayer, it does remind me of a story about uh, a, a father who was sitting in his house watching his son out in the backyard build a fort. And he watched his son gather all kinds of things like big logs and taking dirt and sand and making piles and trying to build a fort. He was trying to build a fort around a big rock. And his son wanted to move the rock to make it part of the fort. And so he watched his son do this interesting thing. The, the son uh, tried to take this big rock and pick it up himself He tried to get around different size and move it, but he couldn't move it. It was just too big for him. So he went and he found a crowbar in the shed, and he put the crowbar under the rock and tried to lift it up and move it, but still it was just too big and heavy for him. So he's watching his son struggle, and so what his son does next is what every red-blooded American, especially young person in our age, does. He pulls out his cell phone, and he looks up a YouTube video on how to move a rock, (laughs) and he looks and he, take, he does exactly what they say, but yet again, the rock is just too big. So finally, the father goes outside and he talks to his son and says, what you doing, son? His son said, well, I'm trying to build a fort and this rock, I'm trying to move this rock and it's just getting me down. I can't move it. And his son was just sitting there dejected about it. And he said, well, have you used every resource you have available? He said, dad, I... I actually tried to move it with my lifting it with a crowbar. I even went online to look at how you can move something like this. I, I just can't do it. I don't have the resources. And he says, yes, you do. You didn't ask me for help. 
I have all the strength and resources that you would need to move that rock. Today, if you got something in your life that feels like a really big rock, something too big for you to lift, well, this sermon's for you because it's a sermon about prayer, about how we have a father who wants us to come to him and ask him to help us. Jesus today is going to teach us how to do that here in Matthew chapter 6. He's going to teach us how to, uh, to, to pray. And he's doing that for a reason. We live in a world where there are all kinds of ways to pray. And uh, we have crowbars, YouTube videos on how to do things from transcendental meditation to the latest thing is mindfulness. It's all in the business world. It's everywhere. Be mindful. That's, that has its place in some ways. But according to Jesus, there is a way to pray where we don't have to use our own crowbars, but we can go to God, our Father, and actually engage him relationally and with effectiveness in life. So that brings us to our question today. How does Jesus want us to pray so we can know him, so we can tap into his resources and enjoy his benefits? How should we not pray? Jesus has something to say about that. What are the problems, the practices, the petition connect to God in a very living relationship with him? You see your outline in your bulletin there in the back page and later uh, in another sermon, but we'll just kind of start out today looking at how we have problems in prayer that Jesus brings up, especially the problem of self-righteous prayer. So let's dive in and look at the first verses. You got to remember the context, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon he ever did. Uh, he's teaching his followers, followers that there is a radical, countercultural way to live following him, and that's called righteousness. But this countercultural way is so upside down from what we normally think that it's kind of crazy making. He says crazy things like, Your righteousness must be more than, greater than, the righteousness of the most religious people of the time. He says that you've got to love your enemy. And he says, It's blessed if you are poor in spirit. You're actually blessed. Jesus calling us to to follow him in this righteous way. And he's doing it because he's the righteous one who's walked this way himself. Now, one of the ways that he wants us to walk is in our spirituality. And that's what our section of of Matthew chapter 6 is talking about. Now, we live in an age that likes to talk about how we're spiritual but not necessarily religious. Well, Jesus has something to say about what real spirituality looks like with the God of the universe, particularly and fasting. We're going to focus on what Jesus says about praying today in the first verses and then in five and following. But this is where Jesus tells us what it means to follow him. Because there are ways to be spiritual that seem spiritual but actually aren't and don't connect with God. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And jump into verse 5. He tells us, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Let's stop there. Jesus uh, starts his teaching with what not to do in prayer. This is the classic biblical ethic, 
not this, but that is what Jesus is doing here. And he tells us generally in verse 1 not to practice our our, uh, righteousness uh, in front of people. Uh, for their own, for uh, your own gain, that is, by getting people to see what you're doing. He's generally telling us that spirituality shouldn't be lived out before people with no behind-the-scenes connection with God in the process. In verse 5, Jesus even uses a word to describe this. And you may know this, but hypocrites is where we play, act with God. We claim to be one thing, but are actually another. Jesus gives two negative uh, uh, examples of how not to pray. First, he says we shouldn't pray like the hypocritical Pharisees, for example, of his time, who prayed publicly for one purpose so others could see them. This is what I call posing prayer. You know, like a poser? Which is showy, pretentious prayer. Posing prayer is about looking good yourself rather than making God look good. Posing prayer can be done with eloquence, presence, ostentation, and yet never connects to God. Second, Jesus says we shouldn't pray like the Gentile pagans who worship other gods. In Jesus' time, there was a tendency for the pagans to use tons of word and empty mantras, if you will, in hopes of stirring up God, maybe manipulating him to act. These are what we'll call prolific prayers. Prolific prayers use many words and hip phrases to manipulate God and make him act by wowing him or even wowing others. According to Jesus, long prayers may seem impressive to us and men, but God isn't impressed. There is no reward or relation. So Jesus is saying avoid posing prayer and prolific prayer. We have to ask why. Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's like lifting a rock as a little kid trying to do it yourself, and you can't. Now, let me clarify one thing. As we hear Jesus say, don't be a poser, don't be prolific, uh, we have to ask, is Jesus saying never pray long prayers or never pray in public? Well, our short answer is no. We know that Jesus himself prayed in public and even had extended prayers like John 17. Jesus prayed about an hour in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his crucifixion. We can do the same. What Jesus is getting at is this. He's getting at the problem of our hearts. The real issue when it comes to prayer is our hearts. Prayer itself can even be infected by our sin, and we don't know it. Prayer can become self-righteous, where we try to make ourselves look good or feel good, without ever pursuing God or encountering Him personally. Real prayer is where we look for God to make us right. It's where we're rewarded by engaging the God whose righteousness covers us in Christ and makes us right. God in prayer by depending on Him in faith. Next week, Josh is going to preach on a great text that talks about this problem of prayer in the illustration of the Pharisee and tax collector praying at church in in, uh, Luke 18. And the Pharisee, who was the most upright and respected religious person of the time, uh, was was, uh, contrasted to the tax collector, who was a corrupt businessman in his time. The Pharisee, 
prays like this. It's something to the effect of, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there and that I live, up an upright, live an upright life by giving my money and serving you. The way Jesus tells it, you can hear the Pharisee going on and on with his prayer. The tax collector, on the other hand, says this, Lord, have mercy on, on me, a sinner, period. He knows his place before God, that he is not holy and God is holy and great. This, Jesus says, is praying in real faith. The last form of prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's authentic prayer with Jesus, not the long prayer of the Pharisees. You know, what's interesting about our text is in verse 8, it says, do not be like them. This is where Jesus' second time, really, in our text, verse 5 and verse 8, says, don't be like knows what you need before you ask. Now, here's an interesting question. Why should you ask? What use is there in that? Well, here's the thing. This is what prayer is meant to be. It's meant to be where you line up your desires with God and what he wants. He wants us to go through the exercise of thinking after him and praying to him and enjoying him in relationship so that we actually know him and are known by him. Prayer is an exercise of knowing God intimately, closely with him. So how can you avoid the self-righteous prayers that often lead to posing and even prolific prayers, well, here's what you do. If I'm praying about prayer right now, and you're think, I'm talking about prayer, and you're thinking, man, I struggle with prayer, I have a hard time praying, here's what I want you to do. It's really simple. Confess your sin and lack of prayer. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, on me a sinner. I struggle with prayer. It is amazing to me that sometimes we won't confess our prayerlessness to God. And our lack of need for him. That's the first thing you can do. But there's a second thing you can do as well. Admit your helplessness. Whew, now I'm bringing up a tough word. Because when I'm in a group like South Charlotte, where we're into competency and uh, handling things well, fixing things, which is not all bad, it's a glorious thing. When I say that you bring your helplessness, that's a scary thought. We love to be in charge and competent. But you've got to understand, authentic prayer really begins when we feel our helplessness and we see God's greatness and his ability. In fact, the more you pray with a heart to connect with God, here's what's going to happen. The more you pursue prayer, the more you realize you're not a very good prayer. That's how it works. The more you actually engage God, the more you go, wow, I just am not as sharp with my prayers as I thought I was. That's the effect of meeting with God in prayer. And he wants it that way because the real heart of prayer is helplessness. Lord, have mercy on me. I need you. That's the heart of prayer. You know, you've heard me say this a few times. Dick Woodward has this little saying that's really interesting. Uh, it, it really describes a Christian life. It comes out of John 15. And it goes like this. He says, I'm not, but he is. And I am in him and he is in me. I can't. I don't want to. <laughs> but he wants to. And I am in him and he is in me. 
I didn't, but he did. And I am in him, and he is in me. This little phrase from Dick Wilber gives us the real taste of what prayer is like. You enter into prayer not with who you are, but who you aren't. Not with what you can do, but what you, what you can't do. That's the way you come to God. So when you feel in your parenting, in your job, in your marriage, in your own self, like something is just too big, you are not enough, that's the perfect place for you to go to prayer. That's, what's call, that's your heart calling to God. I need you. I need you, God. Helplessness is your friend, Christian. Embrace it. Cheer up. You're more helpless than you thought. But God's power and might to walk with you and to build you up and to lift that rock is greater than you could ever hope for or dream. Jesus wants us to move away from a life of self-righteous prayer that is posing and prolific, and he wants us to admit our helplessness. But he gives us a contrast to what that looks like in our text. A few clues looks like in verses 5 through 8. And first, in response to posing prayer and even prolific prayers, Jesus tells us how to approach God. And here it is. He says, you, you approach God personally, privately, and from the heart and with the mind. Personally, privately, from the heart and with the mind. He says, don't be a poser, but go to God your Father in secret prayer alone. As we saw last week, Jesus did this all the time. He goes away and he spends time with the Lord, his Father. And why does he do that? Why do you want to spend time with the Lord? So he could have his Father to himself. That's what I want you to think about when you pray. That you can have God to yourself. And you're thinking, but is there enough of God to go around for all of us here? God's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. He's big enough to handle all of us and then some. He wants to be with you. You go to God in prayer because you want him to yourself. Jesus also tells us not to be prolific, but to be brief. Oh, this is a hard one for a preacher to talk about. I tell this to fellow Christians regularly. But if you think about it, the Lord's Prayer is 30 seconds. Do you think God, when Jesus instructs us to pray that way, that Jim engage from the heart? I mean, think about it this way. If I were to ask you something, and I needed something from you, how would you feel if I spent 10 or 15 minutes asking you for one thing? <laughs> You're like, okay, come on, tell me. <laughs> In the same way, Jesus just wants us to put it out there, to feel our need and helplessness and cry to him. Here's what this means practically for busy people like you and me. What this means is that we have to take time every day to spend time with the Lord in private prayer. And it doesn't have to be a long time, guys. Ten minutes of maybe word and prayer, five, 15 minutes of word and prayer, maybe even a few times a day is great. But here's the thing. You have to go with a hunger to know God and want to connect with him, not just check the boxes of prayer and the word. Real relationship is not just going through the motions. It's actually saying, Lord, I want to engage you. I want to taste you today. I need you today. I like Paul Miller's statement. 
in his book, The Praying Life. He says, it's okay to have a busy life, but it is crazy to have a busy soul. And I'm going to tell you, every one of us here, there's not one of us here who don't have busy souls. All of us have it, including me. Is go spend time with your Lord and engage him, be quiet, listen in the word, and actually encounter him for real, personally. For some of us, that feels, I would say your busy soul is part of the problem. How do you pray when you have a busy soul? How do you pray when life feels like it's too big? This is going to sound strange, but listen carefully. Follow your feelings. I'm going to clarify in a second. Be careful, all right? (laughs) Your feelings are the dashboard of your soul. They're telling you something's up about you or your relationship with God. Sometimes they're flashing You're helpless. You need to admit it. After you pay attention to your feelings, bring those to Jesus. If you're afraid, start your prayers with, Jesus, you're great, but I am afraid. If you're angry and feel hurt, bring it. I think I've read that somewhere. It's in the Psalms. (laughs) Bring yourself to the Lord. Now, having said this about your feelings, I want to clarify. you got to say, well, what is it we do pray in light of our feelings telling us something? The answer is, good prayer is always grounded in Scripture. (laughs) Always grounded in Scripture. You know, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer twice on two different occasions. and may have taught it more. We don't know for sure. And that's because Jesus taught his disciples because they didn't know how to pray. We have to go to his word and listen to him. We don't naturally know how to pray. Don't you understand? It's part of prayer. Is you come into it saying, I'm helpless even with words in prayer. I don't know what to say, Lord. Jesus says, yeah, exactly. Go to my word and pray the gospel. Listen to the gospel come out and start to pray it. See, over the last five, six months, uh, it's been quite a challenge for me and for Elizabeth with her cancer. And uh, I have had to, I've had a busy soul. How's that? (laughs) But you know what I've been doing? I've been running to the Word, and I've been dwelling on the love of God. And I've been praying Scripture around the love of God, like Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 103 this morning. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. Psalm, the love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You know why I pray that? Because in my heart of hearts, I sometimes think, life doesn't feel very loving right now. But God is loving me from everlasting to everlasting. He's loving my wife from everlasting to everlasting. You see how you start dwelling on these truths in Scripture, and you let it soak into your soul as you're praying. You start to see the love of God, and it's bigger than I thought it was. Oh, my circumstance is hard, but oh, this is big. Jesus is loving me in the midst of this. 
Jesus wants us to bring our longings to him, and as a result, he teaches us here in our text how to do that in verses 9 through 13. He teaches us communing prayer through the Lord's Prayer in particular. Look at what it says here. He says this in verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice more in there that that's probably added on as a later emendation to the, to the text. But nonetheless, it does carry the spirit of what the text actually says. What Jesus is getting at here is he said, don't pray this way. Pray this way. Don't do, the, do prolific or opposing prayers, pray like this in the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus gives us a series of petitions, six or seven, depending on how you count them. And he does it for one reason. Every one of us, every one of them is a petition. That's a a way to ask. And asking gets at the heart of our real struggle with prayer. Self-sufficiency. We want to lift the rock ourselves. Our pride is we want to lift the rock, and then we've said, there, I did it. When in fact, real prayer is asking, knowing that we need God. Needing God is admitting that I have limits. Needing God is admit that I have the limits of sin, even that corrupt my heart. Needing God means I call on him to rescue me, in time, and believe that he'll actually answer. That's another thing we struggle with. The reason why a lot of you are self-sufficient in your nature is this. You don't believe God will actually act. You are a functional deist. Here's what deists believe. Deists believe God created the world, but he's all out there. He, he really is not engaged. He's done his thing. He's watching like a good movie and going, yeah, that's pretty cool. You see, Christianity is very different. Christianity says God is engaged. And God is actually personal. And he wants to engage you in a personal way. And prayer is how you make that interrelation go. Personally. He speaks through his word, the truth. And he wants us to interact with him in prayer. If you are a functional deist, you probably have got despair around your prayers. But here's what I tell you. Jesus loves you. He wants to hear from you. He cares about you deeply. The Lord's prayer is a way to say that Jesus is saying, talk to me. Don't be afraid. Don't give up hope. Talk to me. There's so much I could say about the Lord's prayer. I will frame it with a few comments and we'll end. And the first is this. The Lord's Prayer is not a mantra. There are some who say, oh, you pray the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that a mantra just like Jesus talked about earlier where you say repetitive words and all that stuff? No, 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 no. you got to understand. Jesus says, pray like this. He's giving us a model. Altogether is one thing. But what you need to do with the Lord's Prayer is as you pray it, listen for something that pops. Hallowed be thy name. If that pops, stop and start thinking about the glory of God, the wonders of God, the greatness of God, the closeness of God, Jesus and his salvation, the whole thing. I mean, you just start dwelling on that. 
Then go to the next one. You work your way through them like that in many cases. You notice the Lord's Prayer starts with God. You see, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See how that works? The impetus is this. Normally, you want to start your prayers with God and not yourself. This is a hard one for me because when I'm in pain, I want to start with me. Now, you can go to God in your pain first. The Psalms are full of that as well. But the normal rhythm is start with God, and it kind of brings perspective to everything once you dwell on who God is. Third, Lord's Prayer addresses the Father, but that doesn't uh, uh, exclude the Son or the Holy Spirit. You can't get to God without Christ, who gives us access. Scripture says he brings us to God, and you can't pray according to God's will without the Holy Spirit moving in you. This is all powerful stuff, but don't miss this. When, When he says, Father in heaven, Guys, that is radical stuff. When Jesus taught this in the first century, the the Jews, the Pharisees were like, oh, how can you say such a thing that you call him father that the rest of us can call him father? What are you saying? And here's why. They didn't believe that God could be that intimate. God could be that close. God could be that near. You know what the word for father is in, in Aramaic? It's Abba. We know in the rest of Scripture, Jesus talks, uh, the, Paul talks about Abba and, and engaging God as Abba. <laughs> but uh, our friend uh, Brennan Manning tells a great story of how one time he was having dinner with a Jewish family. And uh, he was sitting at the table, and they were all talking. And the Jewish family had a little um, a son who was like two years old, three years old. And he started wandering around the room And he was just old enough to move around, and he realized in a moment, he kind of lost his bearings. He didn't know where he was or what everybody was doing, and all of a sudden panicked. So what he did is he started running as fast as he could to his father, flung himself into his lap and said, Abba, Abba. That's the way. Dare to be in relationship with him in an intimate, close relationship to fling ourselves into his arms. Fourth thing Jesus does, he talks about forgiveness. My goodness, this is worthy of an entire sermon, but the least I can tell you is this. It is offensive for us to say, God, forgive me, but I'm not going to forgive them. What Jesus wants us to do is own the cross for ourselves and what it cost him. And as you own that yourself, then you are able to give forgiveness to other people. Who are you holding a grudge against? I would submit to you that sometimes you can't give up your grudge because you're trying to figure it out yourself. Bring it to Jesus. Tell him about it. And say, it's too big for me, Jesus. I need you to help me and forgive me. Fifth and finally, the last principle you've got to understand about this prayer is that it is a business of asking. You know how we American can-do people handle life typically? We'll say either one extreme, I got it, I'll take care of this, that's self-sufficiency. <laughs> or if we, we can't get it and we're dying to get what we want, we start demanding, give me what I want. <laughs> we go between these extremes 
God doesn't want us to come with him, to him with either of these. He wants us to come asking. Asking in humility. Lord, I need this. I need you. Asking is humbling yourself and daring to admit there's a God bigger than you who can fix your situation and can rescue you from whatever rock is overwhelming you at the moment. When I got my first job, I was an engineer. And uh, I worked for this computer company. And as a young engineer, like any new hire, the other engineers in my department, their job was to train me and to spend time showing me the ropes. And so I felt like all the time I was actually going and talking to these guys and saying, how do you do this, how do you do that, how do you do this, how do you do that? I thought I was doing it so much that after a while I thought, man, I don't want to bug these guys. This is just too much. But then I got my review a year later, my first review. And you know what the review said? Dean doesn't ask for help enough. I thought I was asking for too much help. In fact, I wasn't asking for enough help. I would submit to you that's us. Jesus is called the things that overwhelm you. Hey, are you worried about life and your marriage? Ask Jesus about that. You concerned about your career, where it's going, and what's next? Ask Jesus about that. You concerned about your church, your little church plant? Ask, and Jesus will help you with that. You know why you can do that? Because of the gospel. In our verses it says this, your Father in heaven sees you and knows what you need before you do. He sees you. He's leaning in. He's the kind of God who says, I want you to ask more than you do. Ask, and you receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, the door will be open to you, and you'll meet Jesus in the process. Let's pray. Father, all of us come here today uh, as people who struggle with prayer, and you know chiefly me. And we ask today that you would help us to come to you and confess that, Lord, we are a self-sufficient lot. We would much rather get her done ourselves than trust in you. And we pray today that you would forgive us for our sinfulness of not praying. And that, Lord, you would lead us to a different kind of life. I know, Lord, in this room there are people who have big rocks they're carrying around that just feels like too much. I carry one. And I pray, Lord, that in this next moment of silence, they would bring that to you in prayer and begin a conversation with you that they've been afraid to be. So here are these prayers we bring to you, these silent prayers, for the thing we carry around. Hear our prayer, Lord.
Father, in our helplessness, we look to your greatness. You're the Savior, not us. Jesus, you've redeemed us, and you want to be intimately involved with us. We want to know you in our asking. Reveal yourself. And Lord, we want to learn to pray, and so we're going to listen to your words today, and we're going to practice it together. We're going to pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.